If you have a Bible, don't you want to open it up to the Gospel of John? That's, we're not going to be there uh, just yet, but we will be there later. So John chapter 1, that's a passage we're going to be looking at in a, in a few minutes' time. Um, if you're visiting, my name's Doug. Welcome. It's lucky to have you here. Uh, and you're joining us in week three of a series that we're doing on emotionally healthy uh, disciples. And uh, if you missed the first two weeks, let me give you a quick summary. By the time we get to week five, I'm going to do like a whole summary. Uh, and then we're going to have like the whole series in one week, which we, some of you might think, well, why don't we just do one week and you could just summarize. But anyway, that's how we're doing it differently. Um, the first week, and I, just to mention again and to commend to you, if you haven't um, got a copy uh, of Pete Scazzaro's book on emotionally healthy spirituality, it's a massive, it's a, it's a massive resource. It's an incredible gift. Um, and a lot of what we're looking at over these weeks is just sort of basically the chapters of his book, selected chapters of his book. It's incredibly, incredibly helpful um, stuff. And so in the first week, we looked at the importance of looking beneath the surface, uh, much like our iceberg here. Uh, we spoke about the truth that um, much of our, the important stuff of our lives lies beneath the surface, that there is, there is the part of us that everyone gets to see, uh, but where the real work happens is hidden. It's beneath the surface. It's at the layer of our hearts, and our emotions um, are often indicators of what's actually going on deep down. And unless we pay attention um, to what emotions we're feeling and what they're connected to, where they come from, what, what, what surfaces them, what drives those emotions, we, be, we live emotionally immature and emotionally stunted lives, and therefore spiritually immature and spiritually stunted lives. It's impossible to separate your spiritual maturity from your emotional maturity. That's uh, one of Pete Scazzera's main contentions. And then last week, uh, we looked at uh, breaking free from the past, how formative your family of origin is in your life, how the parents God gave you and birthed you into, the family he birthed you into, the massive shaping effect that your parents had or didn't have. They had a shaping effect whether they were there or not. We looked at that, they, whether they were present or absent, what kind of parents they were, what they said, what the rules were, what, what you went through as, as, as a kid growing up has a profound effect in a spiritual way, in a genetic way, uh, in a consequential way, inheriting the consequences of their sin and how it's important for us to break free, as it were, from the past. And sometimes there are, there are shackles, as it were, that we we are born with and some that we inherit kind of thing. And it's really important to break free from those things and walk in the newness of life that we have in Christ. And I spoke quite a lot about how that is a daily thing. We don't like sprinkle uh, breaking free fairy dust that I've got a special supply of in my back pocket chair over you. Um, God does work in an instant like that and deliver people absolutely. But most of the, most of your um, the journey of discipleship of becoming like Jesus is a day after day after day after day, faithful obedience to living out the new ways of Jesus that you've been born into. And those are often very different, often very different from your family of origin. Some of you, I did concede, are blessed to have been born into wonderful families with godly parents. But even, listen to this, even the best parents have put a foot wrong. Even the best, most godly parents 
have fallen short. They would acknowledge that. They tried their best, but they've been insufficient parents, and you need to be reparented by God and by the church community into the ways of Jesus. Okay? Was that a good summary of week one and two, if anyone was here? Okay, somebody said yes. I'm going to go with that. Um, This week, we are talking about embracing the gift of limits. Embracing the gift of limits. Uh, This is a motivational talk I've been working on for a long time. Um, Because uh, human beings have always had an issue with limits. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We've always had an issue. Wind your mind back to Adam and Eve, like the first humans. They had issues with limits. What, God gave them very clear instructions. Hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Knock yourselves out. Like it's all yours. Go for it. Enjoy all of it. But this one, leave it alone. You can eat from any tree except just, just one you can't touch. You would think that'd be okay. You would think it'd be all right. No. And that's where the devil gets in. It's like, oh, God's holding out on you. Kind of thing. Did he really say? Starts to question and twist God's words. This is a side thing. I'm going to have lots of side thoughts today. Hopefully we don't get totally sidetracked. But if you ever hear somebody um, teaching or a podcast or these YouTubers out there saying like, does the Bible really say? And, and starts to question the authority of the scriptures and the finality of God speaking, you should run a mile. Because it's the way the, where you start a, a whole ton of difficulty is when people start to question the authority that God has as God and the authority of His spoken word. You just need to undercut that and you're unmoored from it and you're wandering off. And that's exactly the strategy Satan used. Did God really say... And basically, he pitches it to them that God is being stingy and mean. You know, like, why is, he, why is he not letting you guys eat from this tree? I mean, what's so special about this tree? You know, it's not sufficient that they can eat from anything else but that tree. And, and they very quickly bar the lie and, you know, the rest of the story is a mess. Humans have always, right from the beginning, had a difficulty with embracing limits. Just think about the, the current messaging of our culture. You won't hear, you won't hear what I'm going to tell you this morning almost anywhere else. Not because I've got a special revelation from the Lord. No, not because of that. You should also run a mile when people come with that kind of language. But because the culture and the world that we swim in, the messaging of that is what? That you can do whatever you want. You can be who you ever want to be. You just need to figure out how to unlock the special you, and level up, and the world's your oyster, don't let anyone tell you you can't, go, 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 and all the slogans, just do it, Puma's slogan, forever faster, you just need to hit like 45, and realize that the Oaks at Puma don't have a clue what's going on, (laughs) forever faster, like forever actually able to get out of bed without being injured, that's more of a realistic slogan, you know, forever being able to wake up uninjured. I can buy shoes that will tell me that and instill that in my birth. This is forever faster. But that's the relentless messaging. Better, faster, go, go, go. And the secret to it is it's, it's, it's already in you somewhere. Because you're amazing. 
And God has made you with limitless capabilities. And all you need to do is reject the voices that tell you you can't and listen to that voice that tells you you can. And just find the right affirmations that you chant over yourself every day and you unlock in all the wonder that God, maybe that's the Christianized version, God has put in you and off you go. And guys, it's not true. But it's the culture that we swim in. And it's the messaging that parents give their kids. It's the messaging that advertisers um, give us. And we imbibe it subconsciously. We imbibe it subconsciously. I think maybe we've overcorrected in our family. Uh, You can tell throughout this morning, like, my kids are not going to die wondering what I think of them and their talents and their abilities. Um, I'm very honest. Um, Karis has been doing this thing at the youth group that she goes to uh, where it talks about your grace gifts, like the spiritual gifts, and they give, like, names to the kind of characteristics. And she says, Dad, she came home the one night, she said, Dad, apparently you're a prophet, I said, okay, well, tell me more about a prophet. She says, and basically, she only tells me the bad thing. She says, you always just tell people the truth. Just, you just don't sugarcoat it, you just, and you don't worry about their feelings. You just bang, you know? And she says, that's what it's like growing up with you. <laughs> so, you know, I went for a bit of a walk on my own and had to think about, like, Lord, am I too harsh with my daughter kind of thing. You know, there can be the harsh side where you're just like Johnny Rankloud and just like, listen, John, this is the story. I think, you know, I think you need to measure it with grace. But, you know, I've sat my kids down and I've said, look, this is the story. Karis, when she was growing up, I'm now talking about Karis because she's not here. Do not tell her I told her this story. <laughs> told you this story. She can't sing. Well, I mean, everyone can sing, you know, like, but she, you don't want to be near her when she's doing it. It's awful. It's terrible. And she used to sing in her room at the top of her lungs. And, I, the, and then she, like, she would come and ask us, like, like, what do you think about singing? And I was just like, Mm-mm. you can dance, do a dance. Dancing is your lane. You are an empathetic human being. She has the biggest heart in the world for people. She's super bright and intelligent. And I went through all these affirming things that this is what I see in you, singing? No. I don't want to see you on idols. You're going to be the wooden mic person there in the highlights reel. You know, my daddy told me I could sing, and there you are like, ah, like a swaling cat. I said, you can't sing. Cut it out. Dream different dreams, you know. And I've done it with all the kids. I'm still doing it with Jono. You've got to be realistic with them. No, I mean, maybe that's not everyone's style of parenting, but it's, uh, I don't want my kids growing up with the culture's messaging. It's like, you can be whatever you want to be, because you can't. You can be everything that God made you to be. You could be everything God made you to be. Now you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out what did God make you to be. You've got to figure that out. How's God uniquely made you? Why does he have you on the planet? Find that. Lean into that. That's where the joy is. That's where the fruit is. That's where your life is. Don't hanker after all this other nonsense. Anyway, we're going to get to the Bible um, soon. Uh, one more thing I want to say. that Part of our difficulty is that, like Adam and Eve, we feel like God's been stingy with limits. Oh, God, why didn't you give us this? Why did you hold off on us with that one tree? And God's, God's li- the gift of limits to us is not a sign of God's stinginess. It's a sign of God's love. We need limits. We need limits. They're a grace gift from God. The limitations in your life are a gift so that you don't feel like you need to or can do everything. The limits are just a, a, a we see it in the natural world. It's a part of life. Tim Keller always uses the illustration of a fish. 
And he says, uh, uh, um, imagine a fish is swimming in the water, and it's like, I want to be free of the confines of this water. You know, I feel limited by the water, and it's like, woo, out the water onto the bank. I'm free. You know, like, how long is this stupid fish going to last on the land? Not long, because the fish was made for the water, not for the land. So the limits are actually life-giving for a fish. They're not restrictive in any way. They, they enable the fullness of life. And the limits that God has placed in our lives are exactly the same thing. And I want to I say this, that if you don't get a clear handle on the limits that God has given you, um, and, and, and you receive those limits in a life-giving way, you will run yourself into the ground. You will run yourself into the ground. You will run too hard, too quickly, too far, and you'll be exhausted. And you'll be in a church this morning, clutching in and out, unable to concentrate to some guy waffling on for 30 minutes because you're just living with zero margin in your life. You're exhausted. Your mind is always running a million different things. You're crippled by anxiety. You struggle to sleep. Your health lets you down. We could keep going. There are many people like this. Claire and I have been horrified talking to some of the parents at the school, uh, hearing some of their stories. Do you guys know it's only March? You talk to some people in Joburg at the moment, it sounds like it's September. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, is it only March? I feel like it's September this year. I can tell you exactly why. You're running too hard. You haven't understood the gift of limits. The gift of limits. They are a gift so that you flourish. Do you think, do you think God wanted you exhausted, strung out, hanging by a thread, overwhelmed, anxious, fearful, empty? Do you think that is the life God won for you? This is a rhetorical question. So how, how do we go about embracing limits in our lives? Well, let's look at John the Baptist. He's a great example for us to look at. John chapter 1, we're going to read two, um, two um, sections. First in John chapter 1 and then John chapter 3. John 1, we're going to read from verse 19 to 23. I think it's up there with me. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? Nope, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. And jump forward to John chapter 3, verses 26 to 30. These are John, John, uh, John's disciples come to him. It says, so they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan, this is Jesus, is baptizing it, and everyone is going to him. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. 
You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who, ha he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father, as we listen to your words um, and your word this morning, we, we, we quiet our hearts. We quiet our hearts now and we say, Father, would you speak to us? We're a, we're a people waiting, longing to hear from you and to meet with you. We've, we sense that you are here amongst us this morning. What a privilege it is to worship you, to sing, to adore you. You know what our hearts need this morning. You know the work that you long to do. We thank you for the, the authority and the power of your word and the glorious ministry of the Spirit who teaches us and opens up our eyes to see and makes your word come to life in our hearing. And so we pray now this morning, would you speak? Would you give us grace to hear? You know our, our hearts, our lives are all in such different places, different conditions. You know what we need. Come and love us now through your word. Strengthen us, convict us, encourage us. Reveal yourself. That's what we long for, that you would increase, we would decrease. It's all about you. That's why we're here this morning. We ask you, you would speak now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, forgot to hang up the phone. Um, we receive the gift of limits by what? <clears throat> Only two points this morning. Firstly, acknowledging who you aren't, aren't, and who you are. That's one point, by the way. Acknowledging who you aren't and who you are. This is how you receive the gift of limits. What does John say when they come and ask him, who are you? We've been sent here to suss you out. We need to give an answer to the powers that be that have sent us down here. Like, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you Moses? Are you the Messiah? And he's just like, no, no, no. Like, who are you? And we'll talk in a second about who he thinks he is. But the first point is that he's not the Messiah. He's not Elijah. He's not Moses. He knows who he isn't when he's asked. Verse 28 of chapter 3 says, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. So it's really important when you understand your gift of limits to know who you aren't, to, to know what you can't do. And, and the first, maybe most important point that comes out of uh, John's testimony is he's not a Messiah. He's not God. He's not God. Some, some people live with a Messiah complex. Like you can do everything. You need to be everything to everybody. And I want to disillusion you this morning. I'm going to offend everybody by the time we're finished. Um, and then pray for us at the end, but you're, you're not a Messiah. You're not God. You, the, the world doesn't need you in every instance. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you just need to dial it back a little bit. You know, you're a great gift. You have gifts, but you're not a Messiah, and you're not God. Take it easy on yourself. And it doesn't matter 
for John how much his disciples wanted him to be somebody else. You see, his disciples come to him and say, uh, boss, well, they didn't say boss, but I can imagine them saying boss, rabbi, it's like I'm saying boss now. You remember that guy that you baptized? He's now baptizing guys over the river. And, and you know what's happening? Everyone's going to him. They were coming to you, and now they're going to him. This is a crisis. Our market share is just dropping in front of our eyes. We had this whole crowd of oaks. You baptized him, and now they've all gone there. This is terrible. And what does John say? Well, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. I came ahead of him. I was the one preparing the way I was sent ahead of him to prepare these people for him. Absolutely, they need to go to him. I must decrease and he must increase. And we get that wrong, don't we? When was the last time you prayed that prayer when you woke up in the morning? Lord, today would I decrease and would others increase? Would you increase? It's not a normative pattern. Like I said, it's not a normative thing in our lives. Normally, we're praying, Lord, would you expand my territory? Would you ex stretch up my tent? Would you open up doors and opportunities for me? Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. It's not like, Jesus, do whatever you want. Hey, let me go into the background. I'm a side actor. You take the spotlight even in and through my own life. You're the star of everything. John gets this, and he's willing to resist the pressure from his disciples to say, hey, like, you know, do, let's do something. Let's run another kind of campaign. Let's get these people back. John isn't concerned that everyone's going to Jesus. It's the whole point of his life and his ministry. He understood why he was on the earth was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. He's not comparing himself with Jesus. You've heard this phrase a million times, the comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. It is exhausting, guys, to compare yourself to another. And I want you just to spend 10 seconds this morning. You need to spend an hour doing this at home. Who do you compare yourself to that robs you of joy? Every single one of us does it. It's part of the wickedness and the waywardness of our hearts. We all have somebody that we're comparing ourselves to, and they're either ahead of us, which robs us of joy, or they're behind us, which gives us joy. We're ahead of them. And it messes us up because you weren't built for a race like that, a comparative race. You were, you were born to do something for Christ and his kingdom that's unique to you. You weren't made to compete in that sense. So who do you compete with? Comparison is the thief of your joy. Because when you feel like you're ahead, you'll be proud. And when you feel like you're behind, you'll be crushed and joyless. And John understands this. So he knows who he isn't, first point. He, but he knows who he is. This is more important. He knows who he is. Have a look at uh, um, chapter 1, verse 23. He said, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make, stray, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet has said. He, he knows that he... John is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. He knows that I'm the one who was sent ahead to crowd in the wilderness, hey, get ready because the main guy is coming. John understands the whole purpose of his life is a preparation for the coming of Jesus. He knows exactly who he is and why he's here. And he understands who gave him that role. Have a look in chapter 3, verse 21. 
um, sorry, verse 27, John responded, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from a university, from his parents, from his upbringing. No, from heaven. From heaven. You can't receive anything unless it's been given to you from heaven. All of your abilities, all of your opportunities, all of your gifts come from where? They come from God in heaven. John understood this. Hey, he's like, I would have nothing unless God called me to this. But he has called me to this, and it's from him, and so I'm going to do it. And he does it faithfully. He prepares the way for Jesus because he understands that's why he's on the earth. This is what God has called him to. Prepare the way. So let me ask you another loaded question. This is one that will take you a lot longer to sit down and think about. Why are you here? What is your purpose and your calling? I know these are like big existential things to think about on a Sunday morning when you may be sleep deprived. Why are you here? Unless you can answer that question... I will make this prediction. Life will happen to you. Life will just happen to you. Instead of you walking out all of the plans and purposes God has you for here. And your joy will be exponential when you understand, this is why God has put me on the planet. These are my gifts. And these are my limits. Let me go. And, and I understand it's not a, like a one-time thing that you download and unlock and like look at and like, oh, if I go and plug it in and you go. It, it does develop. It does grow. It is complicated. But if, if believers don't live intentionally, life just happens to you. You just bumble through life. You just go. Some of you are sitting here, and I, as I ask that question, you're like, I have no idea. You have no idea why you're here. You have no idea why you're on the planet, why God still has you alive. How terrifying is that? Guys, I want to encourage you in all the love in the world. You need a course correction. You need God to speak to you, and you need to get other people around you who can help, who can help you explore this, because it's not a solo project. You need to be careful of the solo project people who come forward and say, this is why the Lord made me. This is what I'm called to do. I don't want to hear any of you clowns telling me nothing else. This is my thing. I've heard the Lord. It's like, ah, nobody else agrees with you. What God speaks, communities affirm. So make yourself vulnerable in a community where they can affirm what you feel and sense God has put you on the planet for. And I'm not just saying, you know, this is, this is broader than just your church involvement. I hope you understand that. Because most of your church involvement is not the main thing that many of you do. It's, it's your life. Why are you alive? How can you live with purpose and a sense of calling? Let me give you five questions to ask yourself. I should have put these on the screen. I didn't. I'm sorry. Here's the first question. What are the limits? This is to understand some of your limitations. What are the limits of your personality and your temperament? By the way, these are Pete Scazzera's questions, not mine. Limits of your personality and your temperament. How has God made you? How has God wired you? If you're an introvert, give yourself a break. Don't put pressure on yourself to live as an, as an extrovert. It'll crush you. It'll crush you if you think that you, your calling and your pressure 
is to befriend every single person when you come to church. You're not, you're not designed like that. And I'm looking across the room and I'm thinking, I can see some of the introverts, I can see some of the extroverts. God has made you like that. Embrace it, understand it. It's a limitation. It's a limitation and a grace gift in different ways. What are the limits of your personality and your temperament? Secondly, what are the limits of your current season of life? What are the limits of your current season of life? This is a tough one, isn't it? Ecclesiastes talks about seasons. There's a season for this, a season for that, a season for that. Our church has got lots of um, young parents, new parents, young parents. That's not the most life-giving season. Uh, you just sort of power through those years, you know. Most of them are the ones who can't keep track through the sermon because they're like, they were up five times last night with someone yelling at them and vomiting and pooping all over the place and whatever else. So it's like life is just like rough. I'm looking at some of them and I'm like, yokes with me there. Like a, they, look, they look quite wide awake. They obviously had an easier night. Yeah, our church has got lots of those people. You need to give yourself a lot of grace if you're a, if you're a mom or a dad with young kids. That's the season that you're in. Don't, don't, don't put pressure on yourself that you need to be out there changing the world. Wow, you're not a missionary to Thailand. Well, it's because I've got like these three babies in my house kind of thing, and that might be a bit of a stretch to get there kind of thing, and like we just need to we're head down over here. What is your season? Some of you, your kids have left home. We're going to talk about marriage and singleness in a second. What is the season? Maybe, maybe you're doing your articles or something. Maybe you, for a season you've had to sell your soul to your company as a slave. There's some of you, I know that's your current reality, some of you are like amening a bit too hard on that point there. Like, uh, it's a season because you have to do that to get qualified kind of thing. It's not your forever, but you need to give yourself grace that like, hey, you can't sign up for a million things. You can't go and do all of these things because for a season, that's your season. What season? Eyes wide open, Lord, what season am I in? We're in a season with two teenagers and a nine-year-old. We spend a lot of our afternoon being chauffeurs around the city and our evenings doing that, you know. Our kids came home from a, from a party at like midnight last night. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, God. I'm like, what the hell? Oaks, nine o'clock. Have a jaw. Go there at four. Jaw hard. Come home at nine. Nothing wrong with that. You know? And Claire's like, I used to come home at half past one. I'm like, I don't care. Shush, you're not helping. You know, like, I'm like, I want to go to bed early. She's happy to stay up late. And I'm just like, I'm exhausted this morning because my kids are jawling. This is the season of life. It's like, you've got to embrace it. I'm like, I'm going to embrace them around the neck if they try this <laughs> one o'clock in the morning thing. That's the season of life that I'm in. What is your season in? Because it's a limitation and it's a grace gift. How much time have you got available? What are the limits of your marriage? Or your singleness. Paul makes it clear that in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, you can read it in your own time from verse 30, 30s, in the 30s of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, hey, I, I wish that you were all single like me. He, he says that. I'm not misquoting him. He's like, I wish you were all single because single people have in mind the things of the Lord and they can just go for it. You oaks, you get married. Now you have to worry about your wife or your husband and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of slows you down a little bit. So, but if you burn, like get married. Like go that route. But I'd prefer you all to stay married so you can give yourselves fully to the kingdom. Okay, we're going to get into a whole excursus on that. But there, this is a reality that if you're married, you have a priority of a person that you're married to, that you've committed and covenanted to, 
to love and to serve. You can't just somewhat do your own thing. You can't. It's a limitation. You have added a person into your life that you have covenanted with to give yourself to and to serve. So you can't. Hear me very carefully. You can't work as many hours as you want because it's going to damage your marriage. You can't entertain every single hobby because it's going to damage your marriage. You can't spend money however you feel like because it's going to damage your marriage. I know I'm causing marital strife as I'm speaking. I don't care. There are limitations that come. There are limitations that come with singleness. Let me just say that the church, our church and the church can do a hell of a lot better job in making singles feel like they are not second-class citizens, that they haven't missed out on God's highest blessing, and figure out ways to incorporate them into the family of the church in life-giving ways, that they feel like they're part of a bigger family, that they may have missed out, as it were, on marriage, but they haven't missed out. They're part of a bigger family, and they are loved and accepted and celebrated, and all their gifts are seen, and they let loose to minister and to fly in the church. You need to work hard on those things. But what are the limits of your marriage? Marriage and singleness have different limits. You can't do, single people can't do what married people can do. And married people can't do what single people can do. What are your limits in that? What are the limits of your emotional, physical, and intellectual capacities, capabilities? What are the limits of your emotional, physical, and intellectual capacities? I know this gets quite sensitive, but we're not all as bright as each other. We're not. It's okay. Don't look at me like that. It's fine. Some of you are like not some of us. You know, I married Claire. Claire, Claire is studying law. She's 46. I don't know why she's doing that to herself, but she is. She's, and she works, and she has three kids and me, and she's able to do all of that stuff because she's super bright. I am not. I'm not super bright. You know what? It's okay. I don't feel threatened by her intelligence. I'm not the shiniest coin in the fountain. You know what? I'm chilled at that. I've got other abilities. I'll find them soon. You know? (laughs) It's it's fine to not be the fastest, to be the best, to, you know? Can you see how much we've imbibed that stuff that if somebody says to you, look, you're not the brightest person I've ever met, that your world just falls apart. It's like, maybe you aren't. School wrecks kids like this. Because we only award the kids who get the good marks. You know, honors evening, march up all the nerds. It's a parade of the nerd herd. I had to go to, because Karis is part of the flipping nerd herd, and clapping for a whole bunch of random kids you don't know. Three hours, clap, clap, well done. Oh, this is flipping fantastic. We're all the kids with personality, man. <laughs> the world changes, the leaders, the trouble causes, the innovators. No one's clapping for them. No one's celebrating them. We just celebrate the nerds, and this gets embarked all the way from young. You grow up thinking, unless I'm bright, what have I got to offer? You've got to offer what God has put in you, but you do need to understand the limits that God has given you. I, 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 I couldn't be a doctor. I don't like blood, and I'm not bright enough. So that was like, okay, no medicine for me, you know, and it whittled down until I became a pastor. <laughs> Very low bar in terms of entry of capacities. What are your limitations in those areas? Be honest with yourself and receive those as a gift of the limitations God has given you. The last question, and you can dig into it because we need to move on. What are the limits of your family of origin? 
What's happened in your life that's shaped you? Some of the wounds that you carry, some of the consequences that you bear that have caused um, some limitations. It, it, it's not, you can, some people can feel like um, I'm catching up with everyone else. I'm behind. If I had a family like that, I'd be further down the road. I wouldn't have all this kind of baggage. Listen here. You have the family of origin that you had. Those things happened. God wastes nothing. You need to look at those things and say, God, you allowed those things. That's my life. Now what do you want me to do with them? What do you want me to do with them? I am more equipped to minister to people without dads and who grew up without dads and dysfunctional dads and families than others of you who did grow up with dads and still have dads. I'm more equipped than you are because I've lived it and I've experienced it. And God has taught me so much through it that other people, if you haven't gone through it, you have, it's not that you can't, God can't use you, but you have less um, miles under uh, you in it. Lastly, we receive our gifts of limits by embracing God's rhythms for us. Embracing God's rhythms for us. It's impossible to live a fully alive life if you don't embrace the rhythms God has put into the world and into your life. This is a drum that I have had others beat in my life, which has been so life-giving and helpful. And it's a drum, I've sort of picked up the drumsticks on this. And I'm learning together with you in it. But God has given us rhythms. The first one is a weekly rhythm written into the Ten Commandments. It's called a Sabbath. Now, I don't know if some people are like, that's Old Testament, Old Covenant, like we're free from the Sabbath. Yeah, not exactly. I think these days it's better to call it the Lord's Day. But God wired into creation that he created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. And he wired that into your life-giving rhythms. And let's just be honest. Most of us in the room are really, really bad at observing Sabbath rhythms. You sneak a little bit of rest here and there, and then you wonder why you're exhausted. It's a surprise to you. This is, the, this is, this is why it shouldn't be a surprise, because you neglect how God wired you to have one 24-hour period where you prioritize you walk with the Lord, life-giving activities, rest, rest, no phone, enjoyment, recreating things. You don't do anything that you have to do. You do things that are life-giving. If you build that rhythm into your life, try it. Try it and see how hard it is. Try it and see how hard it is. You know why it's so hard? Because the devil knows that if he can keep you distracted, he'll keep you exhausted. If you find a life-giving Lord's Day rhythm, I promise you, your life will change. And that's why it's such a difficult thing. It's exactly the same reason why it's so hard to pray. Because if you get good at praying, you'll change the world. Sorry, I have a cold. I need to wipe my nose. Daily rhythms. What does your daily rhythm look like? God has given us daily, rhythm, daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, and yearly rhythms. And we could keep going even past that. Year of Jubilee. My Bible reading's been going through the Old Testament. The section has been on Jubilee every 50 years. Let slaves get set free. The, the land lies still. No farming. Nope. It all needs to rest. God's wired that in, guys. It wasn't just a temporary thing. He's wired in rest. 
So what does your daily rhythm look like? What gets your best attention? What gets your most energy? You know that I'm still on the crusade around phones. You, you don't need to start your day with a phone. You really don't. You need to start your day with the Lord. Try it. Pete Scazzaro has really pressed my buttons on this because he said if you, that, that, that's how we used to think. We used to think, and how I was disciple growing up, you need a quiet time. You need daily time with the Lord. First thing in the morning, you know, Jesus was up early in the morning, so you need to get up and go early in the morning, whether you're a morning person or not, and then, and then go for it. Go for it during the day. And Pete Scazzaro has pushed back on that and said, if you want to live a life-giving life as a disciple of Jesus, you need multiple check-ins with Jesus throughout the day. And a morning thing, I don't know if that's you, you know, I can spend an hour with the Lord in the morning by lunchtime. I've forgotten what I've read. I'm the Helen with people in the traffic. I've had three difficult meetings. I'm starting to get hangry. I'm not exactly an exemplary disciple at that point, and we're only at lunch. I haven't been around my kids. They've been at school. The day is about to unravel and get tougher as it goes. Now, I need to, to check in with God at multiple points through the day, not for an hour each time, but multiple points. I want to encourage you to try this. Try to set up little reminders on your phone or your watch or whatever to say, hey, just bing, bing, bing. Hey, just spend a couple minutes just centering yourself, just praying. Hey, Lord, that was a rough meeting. That's a tough thing. I'm feeling overwhelmed by this presentation, by this assignment, by this person, whatever else. I'm just feeling, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling strung out. What's going on? Lord, remind me. Help me remember that you're with me in this. Okay, good. On you go. A few hours later, okay, hey, Lord, you need that throughout the day. Not this like supercharge in the morning and then hope you just don't run out of Vuma until the next morning. Try that daily rhythm. Weekly rhythms, we already spoke about the Lord's Day. I think monthly rhythms, I think you should take a full day out every month if you can of quiet and reflection and solitude. What does your year, yearly rhythms look like? Some people wear it as a badge of honor that they don't take leave. They work. You know, they haven't taken a day's leave or they're like just like light on leave. They just love working, working, working. And then you ask them about the condition of their soul and it sounds like a dried up raisin. It's like, mm, of course it does. Of course. Because the gift of limit, it's a gift of limits. And holidays are a joy. And time off is part of God's grace. You know what's the most powerful Real-time illustration of your limitations is sleep. Every day, boom, you fall over and become helpless for a few hours. Some people, it's more hours than others. You are absolutely defenseless. Have you ever thought about that? You are absolutely defenseless. Some of you more so than others. <laughs> Some of you sleep like the dead. You know, literally they could carry you away in your sleep and you'd still be endorsing. Others of us are lighter sleepers. But you're absolutely defenseless. You're contributing what to the world when you're sleeping? Yeah, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Almost less than nothing. You're more of a burden. You're taking in oxygen and not providing anything back. And you know what? If you're a good sleeper, that's about a third of your life. 
about a third of your life, you are giving nothing back. <laughs> and God has designed you like that to remind you that he doesn't actually need you running full steam like that. He doesn't need you strung out and exhausted. He needs you well rested. Sleep is a gift to be enjoyed and celebrated. Thank you, God, that I can get to sleep. And while I sleep, you never sleep. The universe just keeps going. Stuff keeps happening. Off you go, God. It's a wonderful reminder of your limitations. When you go to bed tonight, before you close your eyes, remind yourself, God has given me limits. I'm about to step into them now because I'm exhausted and you're going to sleep. But there are other limits that God has given. Jesus said in John 17, I've glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus did the work the Father gave him to do. He didn't do everything. He did the work the Father gave him to do. If the Son of God did limited work, then you have limits. You have work to do, but it has limits. And as we come to respond now, I just want to lead us as we pray, because for some of you, this is, a, this is very difficult. Some of you are achievers. You're type A's. Go, go, go. You're energized by activity and work, work, work. And this is really difficult for you to say, God, you've given me limits. But he has. It's the reality. Some of how we need to respond is just, is just repentance. Sorry, God, I've been running too hard and I'm washed out. And, and just crying to God for help to say, God, would you, would you help me to lean into the limits? And would you restore me and strengthen me? And maybe you need to ask others for help. I want to really encourage you to do this if you are exhausted and if you feel like you've been running too hard for too long and you have next to no margin. Reach out to somebody. Ask somebody for help. This is not the life God has designed for you. Jesus died that you may have life in all of its fullness, not just fly a million miles an hour through life. People would look at your life and think, that is life-giving. Whatever you have, I want. Not look at you and think, yee, this is going to go south very soon. There's a lot more we could say, but I've said enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when you were, um, when you were amongst us, you, you limited yourself. You embraced limits. You embraced the limits of, of, of a human being. You embraced natural limits. You slept. You didn't just teleport all over the place. You walked. You ate. You didn't try to heal everybody. You showed us what it's li a, a, a life that in embraces and is at peace and receives limits that are God-given. And we pray for ourselves tonight that you would give us eyes wide open, that you would speak to us, that you would help us as, as we reflect on these things. For some of us, this is so raw and sensitive and it's clear to us. And for, for those in particular, I want to pray for grace this morning just to turn from those things and to lean into the rest 
that you offer and the life that you give and the limits that you have given to us. And help us enjoy all the joy that comes with living with limitations. Recognizing that we're not messiahs, we're not saviors. We are who you've made us to be. And I pray for each one of us that there would be revelation from you and help from others to discern how you uniquely have made us, how you've gifted us, how you've wired us, what season we're in, what, what you're calling us to do, that we could, we could live that life fully in the power of the Spirit and in the joy of Jesus, that we would be fully alive, fully present, fully attentive to what you're doing in us and through us. We wouldn't feel the pressure to do everything else. And I pray that as we do this and as you help us, we would be more and more mature, more and more alive, emotionally stable and steady and spiritually vibrant. There's so much that you long to do in us and through us. And I pray that you would reveal those things. And as we step into them, there would be fruit for us and glory to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name.